G'day Dave here and we're looking at Mark chapter 13. I think it's probably the most complicated of the chapters in Mark's gospel. It's one of the more unusual and difficult chapters in the New Testament. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to read through Mark chapter 13, maybe pause now and go back and read through the whole chapter because it's important that we see what's going on here. You get the big picture that you see it in context and we're only going to be dipping into bits and pieces for time's sake today. The other thing I suggest is that you have a whole Bible with you uh, because I'm going to be jumping back into the Old Testament on more than one occasion and I want you to see the connections that there are between the Old Testament and what's going on here in Mark's Gospel. How about we pray for God's help as we look at this now. Heavenly Father, we ask that you will help us to understand you, uh, that we will be encouraged by looking at this chapter of the Bible, that you'll give us insight and a desire to follow you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want us to think a little bit about what this chapter is. And uh, it's very unusual. It's probably the largest teaching discourse of Jesus in Mark's Gospel. But there is a context. And you might remember that over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at Jesus arriving into Jerusalem and in chapter 13, verse 1, Jesus is leaving the temple. And one of his disciples says to him, Look, teacher, what magnificent stones, what magnificent buildings. There they are, they're in the temple precinct. They go outside and they look back. It's an extraordinary building. And Jesus says to them, Do you see all these buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And then as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Now, here is the observation that the temple is grand. Jesus says it's going to be destroyed. Then the question, what will be the sign that these things are going to be fulfilled. When's this going to happen? Now, what Jesus goes on to say, I think we've got to see in the light of these events. They go to the temple, they come into Jerusalem, uh, they're looking back at it, and Jesus has made a statement about the temple being destroyed. Well, Jesus' reply covers a lot of territory, but what I'd like you to see first of all is that there are a number of clues in the passage. And clues that are really quite common, if you were to read any part of the Bible well, that is, you need to see common themes, common ideas, common words, common statements, to look for threads, to look for things that connect together, to look for the building of an argument. And it's important for us, I think, to remember the obvious, that is, chapter 12, what was that about? And chapter 14, where does it take us after this? To see, in other words, chapter 13 in its context. This is not just a few words from Jesus. These are words to his disciples in response to a particular question at a particular time. And the time really does seem to be very close to the death of Jesus. He's come to Jerusalem, and when you get to 14, 15, you discover that Jesus is about to die. Well, his response is to say to them, it's not so much about finding the sign that these things are happening. It's watching out for yourselves. 
And you can see this watch language right through the chapter. Verse 5, watch out that no one deceives you. Verse 9, be on your guard. Uh, Verse uh, 14, when you see the abomination that causes desolation. Down in verse 21, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. Verse 23, so be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. And uh, and he goes on to say a few more things. Uh, Down to verse 33, be on your guard. Be alert. Uh, Verse 34, keep watch. 35, keep watch. I say it again down in verse 37, to everyone, watch. What Jesus is speaking about here is paying attention. Uh, looking carefully. And the focus of the watching is to be watching ourselves, or in the case of his disciples, to be watching themselves, to be alert, to be noticing the things that are going on. Something very significant is about to take place, and he's calling them to observe what's actually taking place. Now, as you go through this chapter, and you'll discover all kinds of amazing ideas The danger is that we read this chapter in the light of the heading that has been put in our English Bibles. Uh, You might not have a heading on yours, but I do in mine. The NIV says, The destruction of the temple and the signs of the end times. And we can be lazy readers if we just read the headings and assume, therefore, that we know what the passages that come after it are all about. What we need to understand is these headings have been put there by the publishers. Uh, They are not in the original. The original didn't come with headings, nor did it come with chapters and with verses. It was a long narrative that was written out on papyrus. What we've got here is a heading that's been added to try and give us a focus to direct our understanding. And at this point, I want to warn because I don't think it gets to the heart of what's really going on. Now, there is something that stands out uh, in this chapter. And I want to take you, first of all, to that verse. It's in verse 14. In verse 14, there is a sign that they are to look for. He says, When you see... The abomination that causes desolation. And that's there in little quotes. And the footnote uh, down at the bottom of my page says Daniel 9.27, 11.31 and 12.11. So keep that in mind. We'll go back to Daniel in just a minute. But he says, when you see, or in other words, when you, you're watching out and you see this happening, the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, Let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. Now, I want to zoom in on this paragraph because I think that what Jesus is giving us here is an insight. It's actually a marker that we can take hold of and grapple with all that's going on around this chapter in the light of this marker. 
And the marker is there in the text. It says, let the reader understand. Now, you might be thinking, I read it and I don't understand. I don't think it's us that are specifically in view at this point, but the reader of where that came from. See, the abomination that causes desolation comes from somewhere. And the footnote at the bottom of the page says it comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 9, chapter 11, and chapter 12. So let's have a look at that. Let's try and be readers of Daniel who understand what's going on. The first quote we'll pick up in chapter 9 and verse 27. It says here, He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. A lot of number symbolism in Daniel. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So there is a particular promise going on here that there'll be an end to sacrifices and offerings and a horrific thing will take place in the temple. That is, an abomination that causes desolation will be set up. And we'll come back to this. We'll try and build up an understanding. Uh, the next reference we find in chapter 11 of Daniel and verse 31 says, His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will contempt those who have been who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. And the final reference to this is in chapter 12, right before the end of book of Daniel, verse 11. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1335 days. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. So, I know that's uh, three references to a phrase that doesn't make a lot of sense to us. The abomination that causes desolation. Well, let me give you a little bit of an introduction to the way that the book of Daniel works. There's a series of visions in Daniel. And number of these visions, particularly in the last part of the book, talk about the rise of empires. Now, it's written at the time when Daniel is one of God's people, the Israelites, that are captive in the land of Babylon. They've been plucked out of the land. The, the temple in Jerusalem has been destroyed. Uh, they have had the walls of Jerusalem raised to the ground. Uh, many people have been slaughtered. People have been taken captive in Babylon. And God is giving Daniel a series of visions. And the visions seem to focus on particular empires, kingdoms that have risen up or will rise up and the impact on God's people. So at the time of Daniel, it's the Babylonian Empire. After that, it's the P, it, it's the, the Persians and the Medes. After that, we move on to the Greek Empire, and then there's the Roman Empire. And you can actually trace your way forward from Daniel to see what is going to take place. This, by the way, is what leads a lot of liberal scholars to think it must have been written in about the 2nd century, 
uh, before Christ because it's so accurate in the way it describes the things that happen. Whereas Daniel is writing actually back uh, in that period around the end of the 6th century BC. Now, if you were to follow through these things, you will discover that there is a horrific event that takes place during the Greek rule. And uh, it's at a time that we know as the Maccabean Wars. And there's a man by the name of Antiochus, Antiochus IV, who describes himself as Antiochus Epiphanes, that is God manifest. And he comes and he destroys uh, the temple. Uh, he abolishes the sacrifices and he, he offers a pig as a sacrifice upon the altar and turns the temple into a brothel. Now, that is the abomination that causes desolation that's on view here in the book of Daniel. And you can see when you think about it, it's a horrific thing for God's people. First of all, getting rid of the daily sacrifices, the, the way that the people were to approach God. Secondly, the destruction of the temple and the placing of a pig, an unclean animal, being slaughtered in the most holy place. Well... With that imagery in mind, we come back to uh, Mark chapter 13. He says, When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. In other words, they're to look out for something in the light of what Daniel is saying will take place. Uh, it, it's, it could be a, a pig on the altar. Well, let's have a look at what else gets said here. And verse 19, I want to draw your attention to next. It talks about days of distress. Verse 19, uh, pray that this doesn't take place in winter because those will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. Now, I think that gives us something of a clue, doesn't it? This is to be the greatest distress that has ever been since the beginning of the world and it will remain the greatest distress ever for all eternity. In other words, there will never be anything worse than this event and it's connected to the abomination that causes desolation. Any clues to help us understand? Well, yes, come back to the book of Daniel again and let me read to you from Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress, of distress such has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. And then right in the last verse, we read these words already. Then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. See, in Mark chapter 13, the reader is to understand something. That is the reader of Daniel. They're to go back and they're to see that there's a horrific thing that's to happen, but it's not the end. 
and it will be the greatest distress that has ever taken place since the beginning of the nations and Jesus adds and will never be equaled again but then as you read on further uh, a number of things make sense in Mark 13 come down to verse 24 in those days following that distress the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And down a little further, he says, Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Can we make any sense of this? Jesus is saying here that the Son of Man will be seen coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Is there a, a reader understand for this? Well, no surprise, there is. If you come back to Daniel chapter 7, we've already seen the importance of the phrase Son of Man and Jesus picks this phrase up and he uses it of himself. And back in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel's vision, he looks and he sees the thrones being set in place and the Ancient of Days taking his seat. There is God on the throne, the Holy God to rule. And down in verse 13, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. And he was given authority and glory and sovereign power and all nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Come back again to Mark chapter 13. Let's try and put some of these clues together. What are you to look out for? Well, you're to look out for the abomination that causes desolation. And this will be a time of the greatest distress that there has ever been. And then after that, you will see the Son of Man coming with the clouds in power and glory. And those in this generation will see these things. In fact, Jesus has already said that back in Mark chapter 9. He says to them, truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of God has come with power. Let me try and tie these threads together for you, friends. I think that what we have going on here in Mark chapter 13 is Jesus saying to his disciples, you know all those predictions back in the book of Daniel? Well, listen up, because that's what's going on. Watch what you see happening. Look out, pay attention, be alert, be ready, because this is happening. The abomination that causes desolation. When you see that, standing where it doesn't belong, when you are facing the biggest distress that there has ever been or will ever be. Now, what could possibly be that? Well, let me ask you, where does Mark take this next? In chapter 14, we find Jesus being anointed. We find him celebrating the Last Supper. We find him in the Garden of Gethsemane praying that there might be another way and then he's arrested and he appears before the Sanhedrin. Peter disowns him and then he's taken before Pilate. He's mocked and he's crucified. Friends, 
What could be a greater abomination than the Son of God executed upon a cross? What could be the greatest distress that has been unequaled from the beginning of the creation until then and never to be equaled again than God become human, human flesh, taking sin upon itself and dying on a cross? I take it that is the true abomination that causes desolation. A horrific thing is about to take place. The disciples need to be prepared for it. And it's not just the catastrophe of their lovely leader being misunderstood and being nailed up on a cross accidentally. No, this is God's cosmic purpose for the heavens and the earth, for humanity, to deal with the problem of our sinfulness, to restore broken mankind into relationship with God. But it's going to take a seriously unrivaled distress. It's going to take the worst possible sacrifice you can imagine that God would bear our sin and die. But friends, that's not the end, is it? Because after these days of distress, after the sun is darkened and the moon doesn't give its light and these cosmic images of the stars falling and so on, at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory and then sending out his angels to gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. I think when we read these words, we tend to think of Jesus coming in the clouds to us. But if we read them as readers of Daniel, if we read them as the reader who's to understand, then it's the Son of Man coming into the presence of the Ancient of Days. Here is the Son of Man being ushered into God's presence and given power and authority and dominion to rule over all nations. You see, I think what Jesus is talking about here is watch out, disciples. Watch out, my, my brothers and sisters. Watch yourselves because something cataclysmic is about to happen. I'm going to be killed, he says. I'm going to sacrifice myself and then I'm going to be raised to life and brought into the very presence of God to rule over all. Are you prepared for that? See, he's asking his followers to be prepared. And when you look at, at this in context, Jesus says about the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on your guard. Be alert. You don't know when that time will come. You, you see, we tend to think we read the headings and we think the second coming. We don't know when Jesus will return. And that's right. We don't. But I'm not sure that's what he's saying here. See, as you look through chapter 14 and chapter 15, you get references to these things. Jesus telling his disciples that they're all going to fall away. In verse 27 of chapter 14, Jesus saying in the garden of Gethsemane, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he falls to the ground and prays that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Couldn't you keep watch for one hour, he said to Simon, Watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. Uh, down in verse 41, returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go, here comes my betrayer. You read on a little further and, and everyone deserted him, verse 50. 
In fact, there's this interesting little statement in verses 51 and 52 about the young man who leaves his garment. He doesn't go back for his cloak, like Jesus says, but deserts naked, leaving his garment behind. What's going on then in the context of Mark 13? Well, let's go back to where it starts. They see a temple and Jesus says, there's not one stone going to be left on another. And they say, tell us, when's this going to happen and what are the signs? And what does Jesus point to? I take it he points to his death and his resurrection and ascension to the right hand of God. You see, Jesus is not fundamentally concerned about the physical destruction of the temple, although that happens. Destroyed, wiped out, 70 AD. But really, it's destroyed a lot earlier than that. See, at the very heart of the temple was the curtain. And when Jesus dies, when he cries out and breathes his last, we read in chapter 15 and verse 38 that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The temple is destroyed. It's no longer the place for regular sacrifice. Now there is access to the most holy place. In fact, if you come back to verse 58 of chapter 14, some stood up and gave false testimony about Jesus. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days will build another not made with hands. What's he talking about? Well, John's Gospel makes it clear that when Jesus talks about the temple being destroyed and being rebuilt on the third day, he's not talking about the stones and the buildings in Jerusalem. He's talking about the place where you go to meet with God, and that is himself. Jesus is going to be destroyed and raised again. You see, that is what Jesus is fundamentally focused on. The death and the resurrection. So that the suffering servant who dies in the place of the people might become the powerful king who rules over all nations. And the disciples are called upon to watch out for these things. Now there's all kinds of imagery and details and things that we don't have the time to pick up on. We could talk about the day and the hour and and if these things come suddenly, it says, um, don't be left sleeping and the disciples keep falling asleep. And it talks about whether these things happen in the evening or at midnight or when the cock crows, the rooster crows or at dawn. And when you go on into chapter 15, you discover them things happening in the evening and then at midnight and then the rooster crowing and then in the first light at dawn. I think we are to read this in the context of Mark. But we're also to read it in the context of God's promises in the whole of Scripture. Here is Daniel's great vision of the kingdom of kingdoms rising out of the horrors of the abomination that causes desolation. Here is the worst sacrifice you could possibly imagine that God himself would die. But God using that to bring about his kingdom for all eternity. We are to watch ourselves. They were to watch themselves back then. And we, we need to be careful, friends, I think, to try and pin down every detail. What Jesus is doing is he's capturing a whole range of images. 
many of them from Daniel, some also from the book of Isaiah. Surely there are some from other places as well. And this language is what often gets described as apocalyptic language. That is, it's the revealing of things that are hidden. And it's the imagery and and this cosmic kind of picture of stars falling out of the sky and the sun being darkened and, and all of these horrific things happening together that when you look at it as a whole is saying what's about to happen is of world-shattering significance. It looks like one man being killed, but God is turning this world on its end. It looks like a lack of hope but it's actually the way to find hope for eternity. And so, friends, as we look at this, I think we need to realize that this is another chapter that tells us of God keeping his promise. And just as he's kept his promise in Jesus, so we can trust God to keep his promise to us. And whether we die and are raised to life to be with Jesus, or whether we're living when Jesus returns to gather people into his kingdom, we need to watch ourselves. We need to be careful to keep focused upon Jesus. We need to realize that in him alone there is hope to be found and not be led astray, not be deceived, not be complacent, not go living and looking after other things, but be focused upon Jesus. For there is life. For all eternity. It's a great chapter. It's difficult, it's complicated, the imagery is amazing, but I think the basic message is pretty clear. Jesus is about to enter into something that will change eternity. We want to take hold of that.